Hi, and welcome back to another edition of the Little Big Med Podcast, where we're talking little patients, but big medicine. I'm your host, as always, Dr. Jason Woods. On today's podcast, we have a discussion with Dr. Brad Sobolewski, who is a pediatric emergency medicine doctor and an associate program director for the pediatrics residency at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. He's also the brains behind the PEM Currents podcast and PEM blog and a number of other digital or social media related education efforts. And I asked him to record a conversation with me that he and I have actually had a number of times on how do you go about developing an education brand? As I was getting started making this podcast and deciding how I wanted to do it, Brad was an invaluable source of information on this. And I think he has taken a really detailed but also directed approach to how to make something like this happen. And so the discussion that we had is about if you want to jump into making your own education brand or getting started in uh, some sort of field where you yourself are going to have a presence that is outside or separate from your job or your, your university, how do you go about doing that? This is actually one of the very first things that I recorded, and you'll be able to hear that based on the audio quality. There's a number of clicks and pops and microphone bangs that are all on my end of the recording before I really had any idea what I was doing with this. So just go ahead and forgive me for that. All right, Brad. So I wanted to ask you here today to talk a little bit about how to start your own academic education brand and and how that went for you. And so my first question for you is, can you give us an idea of your general path to knowing that you wanted to be an academic educator? So I I could walk you back many, many years to, to when I was younger, but there was always something about me that liked being the guy who knew how things worked and why they worked and being able to explain that to people. And, you know, like maybe there's a teaching gene. My dad taught in the inner city high school in Pittsburgh, where I grew up for many, many years. But I just always enjoyed teaching people, whether it was giving a presentation or doing a demo or explaining something. And then once I got into med school and residency, those things really started to to crystallize. So it's just something I, I kind of innately enjoyed. And it was with peers and colleagues and patients. And I really got a lot of out of those types of interactions. When it came to figuring out who I was professionally, kind of slowly but surely as a chief resident back in 2007 and then through fellowship and the very early nascent parts of my my faculty career, I started to figure out what things got under my skin, like what, what bothered me, what drove me. And it really came down to trainees, whether that's residents or fellows, not being able to be in a position or have the educational resources that would enable them to to make autonomous decisions and couple that with care providers doing things, but not necessarily knowing why they did them. So you could give the right things to an asthmatic, but do you really know why we gave the duonebs instead of just albuterol and sequence? Um, So those two things, I would find myself again and again teaching them in lecture setting or in little clinical vignettes or sitting down and talking with the nurses in the ED or teaching a family. Um, But I recognized that there was kind of a broader need to educate people and that we only had limited touch points with our residents in the ED. And so ultimately, I thought, okay, wouldn't it be great to come up with an asynchronous online curriculum, something that I could expose people to that would help them have a better fund of practical knowledge when they actually hit the patients. Did you start any of launching your podcast, your website when you were still in training, or did this all happen after you had started your life as an attending? I acquired certain skills. I don't know if I'm getting into the <laughs> territory here, but 
Yeah, so I acquired just various skill sets that, in retrospect, were very helpful. Um, I taught myself how to edit video during med school um, and to edit digital media and those sorts of things. So certainly that's come in handy along the way. I started to learn about website coding and building. Those little skills I kind of brought along with me. I decided that a website would be the way to go, and I launched that a little over five years ago with a Twitter trivia contest. <laughs> I didn't know that. Can you talk about that? Beforehand, I decided a priori what topics I would do, and it was only open to residents at Cincinnati Children's, so I kept it small and local. I did get IRB approval to do this and to kind of survey them and ask them questions about their use of social media. I did a meet and greet during a, a noon conference and during a rise to the next year academic session, and then I specified a start date, and then I would regularly tweet out questions. And the first resident to respond was awarded points. I kept a running leaderboard on the progenitor website to PEMblog. It was called the PEM Tweets blog. It was on the, the blogger platform. And I ran the contest back five years ago in the spring. Um, and essentially, I knew ahead of time what questions I would ask because I had scripted them out beforehand. And I had blog posts and related tweets ready to go out. And so after somebody would answer the question correctly, I would give them credit and then post on the blog and then link to that post directly and say, okay, well, hey, I asked a question about a hyphema. You identified it correctly. Well, here's more information. Go check it out and read about it. And that I envisioned as sort of the launch to a more broad educational platform. Yeah, I love that idea. I think everybody likes to compete and get some credit for being the first to do things. So I, I didn't know that's yeah. how you had started. So it sounds like you knew all along that your target audience was going to mostly be trainees, residents and fellows. As I started rolling with PEMblog and the podcasts, I recognized that, now wait a second, like I have these daily discussions with nurses or respiratory therapists or, you know, other care personnel in ED. And I figured out that, you know what, they kind of want to know the same things that residents know as well. And this went hand in hand with the real rise in the FOMED movement. I got in on the second or third step. The folks at Life in the Fast Lane and Academic Life and Emergency Medicine and others like Number Needed to Treat, these had already been running for a bit. But as soon as I learned about how quickly that movement was spreading, I figured it's not just about residents at Cincinnati Children's. It's about residents, fellows, attendings, nurses, nurse practitioners, PAs, RTs people that fly helicopters over New Zealand and, and pick up patients who were bitten by strange animals. Anybody who is taking care of a kid in an emergency setting is a potential audience. And it wasn't a specific date that I figured out, but when I did figure that out, it really helped broaden my thought process about the content that I was delivering, and it really helped me deliver better learning objectives. I think something that I'm worried about as I am just starting this, this venture is maintaining it. I think mm -hmm. anything new, you're, I'm pretty excited about it, and I've got a lot of things to that I want to get off the ground, but you're a couple years ahead of me in your training life and already wear a number of different hats. And so how do you how do you keep it going? If I know that I'm going to have certain topics come up clinically or seasonally, I will write or record things ahead of time. And the benefit of I use WordPress for PEMblog is that I can script something, write it out, and have it ready, and then date it to post a week or two in advance. So if I'm going on vacation, I can have two posts ready to roll a week or two ahead of time. If it's heading into carbon monoxide seizing, I can write something two months early 
and then have it ready to post at that time. Certainly, if literature changes, I've got to go back and review it. But a lot of topics, especially things like the why we do what we do and the basic topics, there's not seismic shifts in the base generally accepted literature. And so I find that you know I can find a, a blocked off time or a bulk of time to get things done in advance and really lump them together, but then schedule them out later. And that's where WordPress is helpful as well, because I can know that when it posts, it will also notify out to Twitter and Facebook and other avenues so that anybody who follows either via email or RSS or Twitter or Facebook will get a notification when the post went live, even if I wrote it 10 days ago and just get it to go out you know, in the future. So your blog and your podcast are not specifically branded as being from your institution, right? They're your mm-hmm. own creation and your own opinions. Have you ever run into any issues where you've either said or posted something that your administration was upset about or gotten any pushback from your university as far as even though you're not saying you're associated with them, it's not hard to know where you work? I've had very supportive leadership. They have been wonderful and awesome and supportive, even to the extent that I have plans to start offering, hopefully in the the near future, as my bandwidth allows, CME for the podcast. And that discussion was generated from our CME office at Cincinnati Children's. So I found that I've had support all around. Nobody has felt, oh, you need to take that down because it's you know, not appropriate. But on the other hand, I did I kind of let everybody know what I was doing beforehand. And I, I strictly follow the, the social media guidelines that have been set forth in our, our facility. And so I think knowing your own facility social media guidelines and then just talking to people beforehand and laying it out and saying, hey, here's what I want to do. Here's how I want to do it. it makes all the difference. OK, so you took the approach of, of getting some permission beforehand rather than just doing it and asking forgiveness later. I, I kind of said this is what I would like to do. Do you have any questions? Does your institution give you credit for things like blog posts and podcasts when you're going up for promotion? It is something that is evolving. The individual metrics are kind of institution specific. When it comes to looking at it from um, what I would be considered as an educator specialist, so even a subset within clinician educator, certainly credit for an academic manuscript is different than credit for curriculum design. But this is certainly all, at least in terms of, of my evaluation faculty development, within the umbrella of A, what I'm doing locally to teach, and B, how it meshes with my faculty goals of being a, a more broad-based leader in education and pediatric emergency medicine. You brought something else up in the middle of this conversation I wanted to ask about again. Something that I struggle with a little bit is how do you track what you're doing or how do you prove that it's making it out to an audience and it's making a difference? There's kind of two ways that I, that I look at it. Number one are the, the stats that are given to me through WordPress. It's a great platform. Ultimately, I get really detailed stats on how many views the page gets, the number of users that visit, where those hits come from. And I'm able to report that to my bosses and managers in a way that is usable. You can export it to a CSV file or another type of digital file and give detailed information even down to the day or to where people came from. I think the last thing I wanted to touch on today was branding. And some of this mm-hmm. is a little self-serving because I'm just starting to figure out how to do it. So how did you come up with your name and, and your logo? Is that all stuff that you did on your own? And, and how did you carve out your own space? You know, I mentioned earlier that my dad taught in an inner city high school. I didn't mention what he did teach and he's an art teacher. <laughs> so I, I just ended up with 
art skills. And he taught ceramics and he paints and he does all this kind of stuff, but I'm more of a graphic designer. And if I wasn't in medicine, I might be a graphic designer, just in terms of stuff that interests me and color and visual design. And so even from the beginning, I spent a long time figuring out um, if I'm going to do this, I got to make it look good. It mattered a lot to me, the visual nature of what we put out there. And so in terms of the layout, the art design, the very specific color choice, that orange, orange is red that you see all throughout all of my stuff, right. chosen very much on purpose. And I knew that just like a, a media company, you needed a logo, you needed something that was recognizable. And you needed something that people saw it would recognize that, okay, even if that's audio or if that's video or if that's a website, that all belongs together. Um, and that was kind of my initial impetus. And I'm not selling anything as a commodity, but I am selling education. And so if everything visually links, if everything looks and feels and sounds the same, um, then it does create kind of an educational brand where people say, all right, well, this is a podcast. This is a, this is a video. This is a website post oh, here he is on Twitter, and it all looks the same. All of that depth creates vertical integration that I think helps a learner know that, yeah, there's multiple streams of content. And I think that that embeds even a little bit more, and I think trust is the right word. Any other wisdom you want to leave us with today? Teaching is wonderful, and you should look for the opportunities to teach in everything that you do. You know, remember that you know, medicine can almost seem magical. You can walk into a room and you can see a kid who has a, a rash, you know, say it's erythema multiforme, and you walk in the room and like, you know it. But think about that family as a student. Yes, they're scared. They want to know that their kid's okay, but they also kind of want to know why this happened. And if you really look for those little teachable moments, you're going to have, whether it's a family or a med student or an intern, or if you're the faculty, the, the fellow, they're going to remember that forever. Brad, where can people find you? Well, I am on Twitter at Pem Tweets. Uh, you can find me um, on Facebook. Uh, there's a Pem Tweets page as well, so facebook.com slash Pem Tweets. Um, certainly there's Pem Blog, P-E-M-B-L-O-G, which is my main educational site. Um, my podcast is Pem Currents. Um, you can find that on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your favorite podcasts. And then I've got videos on both uh, Vimeo and YouTube as well. Well, there you have it, the definitive Brad Soboleski interview. I hope this gives anybody out there who's looking to get started in a similar effort at least a jumping off point and some guidance for where to go from here. Thank you so much for listening today. This has been the Little Big Med podcast. You can find all of my other work at www.littlebigmed.com or through your favorite podcasting app. I would love it if you could go ahead and leave me an iTunes review so that others can find this work or freely share it on your favorite social media platform. You can find me at jwoodsmd on Twitter or you can email littlebigmed at gmail.com. This podcast is made possible by support from the Digital Scholarship Accelerator at the University of Colorado School of Medicine.